0: Thank you for tuning in to the Change Your Filter podcast. I am your host, as always, Tall Paul. For those that know me, you know that I am fascinated by the automobile industry, the car industry. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, but mainly because of the parallels that exist between the consumer auto industry and the industry where I live and we live and breathe today, no pun intended with breathe there. Um, I also have a, a kind of a general rule of thumb here, and that is... If three or more people that I respect independently introduce me to someone, particularly over a short period of time, I pay close attention. Um, so our guest today is John Tory. John is the director of marketing for Searchlight. You can find him at searchlightdigital.io. This episode will be broken up into two parts. I could have, this could have been a 14 hour episode. So you're welcome. In part one, we're going to examine the automobile industry and learn what John learned at dealer.com and see what we can learn from the rise in e-commerce and online shopping from cars. What can we learn over the past 10 years that we can apply to what's going on in our space today? And then part two, we're going to talk about the modern home services contractor and how to operate your business with more clarity and precision around marketing and revenue attribution and all of those sort of things. Said more directly, you know, as a contractor, you have data coming in from everywhere. How do you understand what is important, what is actionable, and how you can grow and run a better business with the data that's flowing in and out of your business? Please enjoy this conversation with my good friend, John Torrey.
1: Hey, this is John Torrey, and you are listening to the Change Your Filter podcast with Tall Paul.
0: John, welcome to the Change Your Filter podcast.
1: Paul, thanks so much, man. I'm super happy to be here.
0: I feel like we've been friends forever, but it's only been maybe 72 hours max.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty much, pretty much.
0: So anytime multiple people say, you need to meet this person, you need to meet this person, I will break down and I'll meet that person. And I'm glad we met. So I'm glad we're friends, Even less me, than a week.
1: Me too. I'm humbled, man. The infamous, Tall Paul, I mean, I, I, I've heard you on podcasts for years now. So again, just super humbled to even you know be with you here and chat about some fun stuff today.
0: Well, thank you for joining. I'm humbled by those kind words, and um, you're not going to hear much from me today because I want to hear a lot from you. So yeah, I want to start with uh, just your career journey. So um, not all of my listeners are you know our target audience of you know residential home service companies. I have yeah. a lot of people that are just. Business people, career people, you know, friends yeah. of friends of friends who who are curious about the stuff. So I love to hear career stories. So, who's John Tory and how did you get here today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so John Tory, born and raised in Philadelphia, big big Eagles fan. We have a monstrous weekend coming up against the New York Football Giants. Uh, but I went to um, the University of Vermont, and I, I just wanted to change the scenery. Very very cold up there, but I met a lot of my really close friends. I studied economics as an undergrad and found my way into a social media startup as an intern. And this was 2010 okay. when... Right, right before
0: graduation, you did the internship? Right
1: before graduation. I graduated in okay. 2011. Yep. And yep. this was a different world. This was when we were coming out of the, the Great Recession. Yep. And social media marketing was brand new. It was about getting likes to your Facebook business page. Tremendous okay. opportunity. Paradigm shifting.
0: Yep. And account, I got into could, this company. Burner accounts. <laughs>
1: burner account, like all, yeah. all kinds of interesting, lo- you know, following, you know, following people on Twitter, letting them follow you back, unfollow. So you keep ratios. I remember having to keep ratios for accounts. <laughs> and so it, it was fascinating to to get in that that early just to see what it, it looked like. and And the pattern for me, which is something I continually recognize as technology shifts is that when something new comes along, there are no tried and true experts. There's an opportunity for anybody to say, you know what, I'm going to deep dive this. I'm going to test things. We're going to launch some services. We're going to get some clients. We're going to see how it goes. And so this little company called Here Forward, I interned for them for about a year. They brought me on full time. I got to work with clients in automotive, CPG. We didn't touch any home services at that time. But what we were trying to prove out is that you could use Facebook advertising, again, all very new in 2011, 2012, Mm -hmm. to sell CPG, but then also cars? Could Facebook advertising be a channel for car dealers to actually move inventory? Can we prove that out?
0: And, and so, so at that stage, that was just a question, like a hypothesis. Like, you were like, could we do it?
1: Could we do it? Yeah. And we met with a lot of skepticism. Sure. But the this is the key is that these these brands that we worked with were eager to find undervalued marketing channels mm-hmm. and because social media was so new it was very it was very inexpensive to advertise on Facebook it was very inexpensive to do different Twitter strategies we used to build Facebook apps so what we would do with a CPG seventh generation was one of our clients they're up in Vermont mm-hmm we would do these contests. We'd build a Facebook app where you'd have to like the page to get access. You could fill out a form and get samples of that product. Yep. And I remember we did it for Seven Generation Baby. We had 50,000 customers come through, get their free samples, and then we would do the matchbacks to see of those customers how many bought product afterwards. And it proved yep. to be a great ROI.
0: Explain CPG really quickly for those who aren't familiar with that term.
1: Yeah, just consumer packaged goods. So Again, and this will use a specific example, seventh generation, they made, you know, eco-friendly dish soaps uh, and, and different household cleaning products that are eco-friendly.
0: I'm shaking my head because I guarantee that my wife was part of one of those like, you know, <laughs> one of those Facebook ads because I know that I recognize that brand. And yeah, I've got some some memories about all the eco-friendly things that I've bought over the years that. Uh, oh, Yeah that i didn't love sometimes but anyhow yep.
1: thanks, it's yeah thanks yeah i know it, it is we influence it well we, we would see and, and it was so much fun you see they launched a you know the, this baby facebook page seven generation baby it was so it was baby product yep and they went from like zero to a hundred thousand likes to the business page in a matter of 24 hours all the free they hit their limit of like hey the 50,000 free samples so it was just fascinating to be in the trenches in that early phase of what Facebook looked like and what those goals were. But then the big one was automotive. So there was a big company in town called dealer.com and they were the Google of Vermont is how they were, were described and they built websites. They did advertising and they built other software for car dealerships. It's a very big vertical Mm -hmm. and they had hired us uh, to take a look at Facebook advertising and can we prove a story and validate that Facebook advertising could impact revenue for car dealerships? Yep. Again, a lot of skepticism, which we can get into once I get into that career section. Why
0: why was, what was the early skepticism? If you could like define it or put it in buckets, was it that like, I'll just use a general example here, like no one will ever. Want to buy a car online because they want to see what it smells like. What, yeah. what were those skeptical things?
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll step back. I'll go through the phases of, of skepticism that I encountered. That were again, were very, very important to shaping how I am as an entrepreneur today. Mm-hmm. So when the internet came out, this is before my time, but but all the the old guard at DR.com dot and tell me this all the time. Yeah. When the internet was becoming a thing, and ne- and and needing a website became standard for all businesses car dealerships, and I'm sure many others would would tell our salespeople, the internet's a fad. It's going I don't need a website. It's here for a little bit. It's going to go away. There's plenty of articles documenting that. There, there's there's plenty of opportunities for you to go back in time and look at people saying, the internet, it ain't a big deal. Don't pay attention to it. We're going to stick to our old ways. Yep. So that was phase one, where they didn't even want a website. There were very few, and they had to be sold this concept that you should build your store online, that you should build a brand presence online. So I hope that they shocks were, a lot of people. They
0: thought they would lose something. They thought it was not a net gain, that it would be you're giving up on that personal touch.
1: What it was in my, in my humble, humble, humble opinion is I know better than you. That, that's what it was to us. Like them, I know better than you mm-hmm. and this isn't going to be a thing. It wasn't actually a matter of following the curiosity because I've done this myself. Like I, when I, I've caught myself doing that where I make a, a snap judgment on, on some new technology. Oh, that's not going to be a thing I know better because it's ego. And I'm protecting my own ego because this is something new and scary that I don't know about. That I might have to go learn and understand and really spend my time getting good at something else. Especially if I've been good at the current process today. Yeah. So they were refusing websites. And in today's environment, I know that sounds crazy. But those were some of the conversations. Hey, we have a Very website similar. platform. Yeah, right, very
0: similar to to home services and HVAC ten years ago, twelve yep. years ago. So interesting. Yep. Okay.
1: And then there was PPC. So PPC came around. Similar skepticism. What you know? Search engines. You know, people know who I am. They we 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 put ourselves on the highway so that when they're driving by, they see us and they're seeing TV commercials. Why why would we need to invest in this thing called pay per click? And that was a it was a monstrous marketing effort. But once They started to adopt. They started to understand, wow, this is really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. So you had that. And then what was next was display advertising. So then Google came out with display and it was, hey, you can put tiny little, all the billboards that you're spending a lot of money on. You can put them on every single website that somebody who's visited your brand's website and follow them around the internet. So that's kind of in the progress at each step of the way. Again, the hesitation, the hesitation. I'm not sure this is new. I don't understand it. This is not the playbook I've been running for the past 30 years. In a lot of the cases that people at the time work with. Yep. And then came along social media, then came along Facebook. And it was very similar. Facebook is for same thing we hear about TikTok. Facebook's for kids. It's for high schoolers. High schoolers don't buy cars. Thank you. See you later. But we knew in the data because what we had seen with some of the CPG brands is, well, we don't have high schoolers that are getting seventh generation dish soap samples. They're trying to avoid loading the dishwasher. They're trying right. to avoid their choice. Tra- yeah. So we, we, we were able to see these demographics and say, that's not happening. And the information arbitrage of knowing, hey, we might know ahead of other people that there's a demographic here that's very sellable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we ran these pilots and were able to, you know, really, again, prove out that Facebook advertising led to the sale, direct sale of vehicles for dealerships. Light bulbs went off. And mm-hmm. there was still a lot that we had to do. It still took, there was a lot of lag between mass adoption of it. Again, that's anybody listening to this. If you have a business, home services or not, if you're early, if you're early to those waves as they're forming, you're going to have a tremendous competitive advantage because the mass adoption happened 18 months later.
0: Right. Right.
1: But for my career, so I was doing a little bit of everything: account manager, strategy, execution. I even did a little bit of coding on some of the apps. Definitely not a developer by trade at all today, but we did that. And then Dior.com ended up acquiring here forward. Okay. So I'm right out of college, and yep. Dior.com is in Burlington, Vermont. It's you know about forty thousand people, punches above its weight in terms of the entrepreneurial ecosystem. But Dior.com, they had a cafe, they had a gym, they had, you know, chair massages on site, they had a life coach, they had a lot of really interesting things. So going from a startup, you know, I wasn't making much money. So I'm at a startup, no benefits, but I'm loving every second of it, because I get to contribute to a a, a business that, you know, I'm a part owner of. And then that acquisition happened. So I was able to transition into Dior.com. I was able to get a role that, you know, I might not have been able to get in cold applying. So as a product readiness manager... So I go into this big environment, 600 employees, and it was like, wow, that's really cool. You can build and sell, sell a company if you solve a problem for somebody. And so at dealer.com, I stayed there for about 10 years. I worked in product readiness, which just go-to-market strategy for some very large rollouts. So it was you know, unified advertising dashboard. It was a budget-optimizing tool that we rolled out to 6,000 dealerships. There was a display product we rolled out to 12,000 dealerships. So I got very well-versed in how to roll out products at scale. And then I went into business development. So at that time, I got really good at understanding all the different departments in the company, aligning everybody on what is this product, how does it benefit our wider client base, and how can we make sure that that is adopted and that the service is strong. So that's kind of where, where I was. And then the corporate development team wanted to launch a partner program. com built websites. And there's right. a lot of like chats, right? Chat's are great for car
0: thing. For car, car dealers maybe. Car dealers, right?
1: yep. Car dealers and groups. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we're, we're in North Carolina. I think Hendrick, Sonic, we worked with OEM, Subaru, Audi. You know, if you've purchased a car in the last year, four years, even 10 years, they had a stat about it. I think like 86 per, 86% chance of touching one of our products. There's almost a 100% chance. If you went to a few car dealership websites, you've been on a dealer.com website. Awesome. Prolific. They sold for a billion. They ended up selling for a billion dollars, um, you know, it, and, and the founders there were just really awesome group of guys. Some of them still mentor us. They're, they're just, just a great culture at, at that business. And I had that opportunity to then go into business development to launch a partner program where we were working with chat companies who would put chat on our website. And we said, hey, let's get together. Let's do some joint marketing. Let's let's deepen our integrations. Let's establish a financial relationship. So I ended up managing that program for about a year and a half. And then Dior.com, like I said, they were acquired and things started to change. So I had like nine bosses and in or nine managers in two years. I moved over to to product. Um, I did some market intelligence stuff. And then I moved into product and, you know, started working on an audience product and then started working on a video product and again rolling out at scale traveling the country presenting to you know different OEMs went to Detroit a lot was in these executive meetings explaining strategy and the changing of the tides and then i hit a wall i mean then i hit a wall and was really unhappy and i i wasn't i was itching to get back into a startup i missed that i missed that um, environment
0: was it the early phase of the market too that you missed i mean because at this point like 10 years in Most of the car shopping is done online and then closed in person. Was it just not as fun anymore?
1: Yeah, it it was. Well, I'll tell you the exact moment I knew that at some point I wanted to recreate this for myself. We went to New Orleans in in 2014. There's a big event every year called NADA. And it was held in New Orleans that year. It just so happened to be two months after the company was acquired for a billion dollars. So I'm going, I'm the youngest person there. I was a last minute addition. My manager kind of fought to get me there. Because we yeah. built this partner program, $4 million a year. And he said, I need Jonathan to go because we, we need to be building relationships with other potential partners. So he got me into that. And I, uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll never, this was the greatest business trip of my life. So, you know, we, and it was hard work. So, so we get to New Orleans. Now this, all the founders are there. We're still privately owned. So everybody that's kind of built up, you know, the executives, the founders are all, again, really just a cool group of people. We're there and it was it was hard work and it was, hey, we need to finish this out strong. We need to, you know, give a good showing before next year when we're part of dealer track that's come to that choir. So yeah, they told us, uh, the CEO at the time, Rick Gibbs, he said, you know, everybody, the fr- we're going to have, we're going to celebrate our final night here, but these first three nights you better be on your best behavior and every morning at 6 a.m. I want everybody in the lobby. So they booked us an entire hotel right off of Bourbon Street. So the whole hotel was just... My friends and my colleagues and every morning, you know, I would I would get up, be down there at six. Nobody else would be there. I would sit there for about an hour and a half just doing work and prepping. And then the first, you know, our CEO would be the first one to come down. And that's how he noticed me. And I, I think ever since then, you know, we've talked once in a while, but he noticed that and he's like, you listen to me, you're, you're here, you see that nobody else is here. And, uh, there were long days, I mean, 12, 15 hour days on the feet, you know, Mm -hmm. on your feet, like talking to car dealerships all day, you know, in this massive booth and this massive convention center. But then that final night, uh, um, when we got to finally celebrate, they set something up for us, but we're in the lobby of our hotel and it's just us. And the CEO just was, got everybody together and kind of did this, like, let's, let's go, like, let's have fun tonight. Let's celebrate. He said some certain words that I, I won't repeat and... You know, they took us out in in like a a type of party van and we went out, you know, to dinner and we just we spent time together. It was one of the most fun nights of my life to just see that energy and excitement of, wow, you know, 15 years of hard work turned into a billion dollar acquisition.
0: Right. Yep.
1: And then the next morning, woke up to about a quarter inch of snow and everything shut down. So I went to try to go New
0: A quarter inch of snow in New Orleans? Yep. Dude, that is catastrophic.
1: For them. I'm from for them. That's a
0: Yeah. And you're from Philly, so you're like, what's this? And then you end up driving and you know yeah. running somebody over. But that that's another topic. So another all right, topic. so quarter inch of snow. Go quarter ahead. Quarter inch
1: of snow. Um, yeah, Vermont we're like twelve inches and we're we're still going. But quarter Outer. inch of snow, and we we got stuck there. So I, I remember walking in New Orleans trying to go to the movies. I thought, oh, I'll just go to the the movies, right? Closed. Library Bang, get happened. a book or something, closed. I didn't have a Kindle at the time. So my boss texts me and he says, hey, you know, we're on Bourbon Street. It's a ripper. You should come down. Here's the name of the place. So it's midday. It was a Tuesday. So it was like two for one Tuesdays. Everybody's there. Oh, Everybody's boy. drinking and having a good time. Uh, I, I'll never forget, too. The the teachers in New Orleans had like their first snow day in a very, very long time. They all came dressed as as Santas. This was in, I think, January. As Santa Claus is coming into the bars, running around. Um, but we got stuck. So we spent, you know, the day together. And bonding and again, just the energy of that, just just the coolness of, of, hey, we've done this for 15 years and we were able to sell this business and have a really strong exit and just a lot of fun. And then the next day, they booked us a private plane to, it wasn't a fancy, it was just like a, a, a charter jet to fly everybody home. So we all got to ride back together. They ordered pizzas for the flight and I got home and just thought, man like that right there just the camaraderie the ability to all hit that type of goal like i i want to recreate that at some point because then everything changed they were acquired once sure. and they were acquired again and mm-hmm. so That's to answer your original question it just it was too big like to to move up and the, it became more about politics than, than the actual effect on the market you couldn't change yeah. much And I have a lot of passion. And when I would meet with clients face to face, like I I take it personally when we're not able to execute for them. And I just couldn't control that. So that's why I just kind of hit that wall.
0: So before we jump in to talk about the next phase of your career and searchlight and parallels between the automotive industry and home services and HVAC, I want to um, just kind of sit in the period of time, let's say 2011 to you know, really pre like almost up to the pandemic. Like what did online shopping look like for cars and what um, things did you learn and what was misunderstood? Just kind of give me the landscape there.
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, we went through these phases of resistance, first resistance to simply having a website, then resistance to PPC display, even Facebook. But then there was a big, big lasted for years debate about showing pricing on a website, which as we're seeing in the home services vertical that's starting to bubble up a little bit
0: you Should don't put, say
1: you know i know right <laughs> so what happened is vendors like auto trader kelly blue book car car in particular CarGurus is a great business they're one of our partners tried to go work for them um wasn't a fit there but they actually created an algorithm to tell a customer that you know listing on the site was it a good deal, a great deal, a fair deal, below market. Amazing. That, yes, great product. Super Langley Steiner. I got he was the founder of Tripadvisor. I got to meet him out in Las Vegas. Super nice guy. Super smart. He's doing the same thing for apartments now. He went from hotels to automotive, and now he's doing like apartment raider. But that they were CarGurus is a partner of ours, and. Mm-hmm in that certified provider program that I was managing. So I got to the front row seat of these intense debates and how are we delicate as we are dealer.com. So we're supposed to be for the car dealers. That that was a big thing. Yep. There was a lot of pushback and we almost, we almost had to terminate the partnership. And then we, we, we were able to get to a place where car dealers kind of realized we need to let our consumers dictate what we do. They were going to sites like car gurus. They were going to, autotrader.com. They were researching this anyway. So dealers were almost kind of forced into it, but some of the innovative ones kind of saw it early. And I I get it. It's scary to say, put a price online, value that car. Now people are including these plugins from Kelly Blue, but great deal, good deal. Like that's on the dealership website. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of come full circle in that where it's like, you can't really resist what the customers want. If you give it to them, they're going to come to you directly
0: right and and in the you know to pull forward into the hvac world like the the mass resistance it, there are technology companies like the car gurus of the world or whatever you know, name the the technology company that's like hey man if there's demand for this information in the market and yeah. the information is valuable to, valuable to the consumer on the demand side and valuable to the dealer on the the supply side or maybe i said that backwards anyways um <laughs> they'll create a business Mm-hmm. and it'll be hfatgurus.com and then then next thing you know the dealer will have to pay this technology company i mean it's just it's so incredibly um how do i say this i mean you can see it coming yep. it's exactly like the automotive world yep so it went full circle um so you talk about phases of resistance the last yep. phase of resistance before it's. It was completely well. Like I should back up. Right now, you can get a price for cars online pretty much everywhere. That's a normal thing. It's not weird. It's not weird for the dealer. It's not weird for you. It's not weird for the manufacturer. Like everybody yep. agrees that if you want a Ford F one hundred and fifty, you're going to be able to see roughly how much it costs. Yep. Give or take. Yep. So that was the price resistance phase that was overcome. What was the next? Was there another resistant phase, or was was that the last phase before it just became normal?
1: Online shopping. Online shopping. So a, a big strategy for car dealers, and again, it makes sense, and it's going to sound eerily similar, get, get them in the dealership. I want you to get my customers in the dealership. That's why they would never want to discuss price on the website or on the phone because that was, a, that was information arbitrage. I have a piece of information that you want. I want to make you come to me because if you come into the dealership, I have a much, in my head, I have a much better chance of selling you a car and potentially selling you a more expensive vehicle or a vehicle that's aged inventory. So so that was the next phase. So digital retailing, that's what they call it in, in automotive, allowing customers to start to get approved for financing, to start penciling. They call penciling a deal, which really just means how much you're going to put down, what's the term of the loan, and really working toward what is the monthly payment for a specific vehicle that you can get to. So the pandemic certainly accelerated that. It's not perfect. So the experience of buying a car online i actually bought a car online from carvana
0: i want to talk about carvana a little bit just as an aside but um you mentioned pandemic um i read yeah. somewhere that pre-pandemic well let me share three i'll share three bullets with you now I, I want you to explore these and then i want to talk about carvana just to be kind of um gossipy because i heard they're yeah i don't know if i can say that out loud is it public what's going on with them yeah of course it is yeah no, very, yeah yeah, I'm. I'm completely <laughs> like ignore the outside world, and he, I hear I hear things, and then I repeat yep. them. So, yep. um, I read this is oh man, I forget the source of this, but the um, I it, it might have been something, some source from your dealer, you know, car dealer world said yep. more than ni- more than ninety nine percent of car buyers declared that they were dissatisfied with the automotive buying process. This is pre pandemic in mm-hmm. twenty. Nineteen. it was reported that 31% of consumers were open to buying a car online. And in 2021, less than two years later, um, 61% were open to buying a car online. So talk about the, like you had already, like it was normal to get pricing online and shop online pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. It is just very, very normal. Talk to me about some of those numbers and just your, your view and insight, and then we'll talk more about HVAC.
1: Yeah, those numbers were always a topic of discussion at Dior.com and with car dealers and you know they, they understand it too this isn't anything against them this is their business and their livelihood and and there was a little bit of a hey I feel threatened because I'm in, I'm in a different world I, I used to live in a world where people would have to come and see me to get pricing and I had all the information and I could kind of control the conversations and not feel like it's getting away from me but now customers have more power because they have choices of how to convert on my website they could chat me they could fill out a form they could call me they could do a lot of price research on on outside parties before coming in and be prepared. Um, getting them into the dealership, the average. So another stat was like the average customer visits 1.2 dealerships. So it's either you or somebody else. So if you get them, if you actually get to the dealership and you don't close that deal, it's more than likely ain't going to happen for you. Right. Um, and so I'm not surprised though because, if, I mean, anybody you ask really – it's nerve wracking for a customer. I don't know if I'm going to get taken for a ride. I just don't know. There's that, again, that information arbitrage. I don't know what for a used car, what the dealer's paying for it, how much they're marketing up. You know, you have a lot of transparency tools like Carfax, but even new cars during the pandemic, uh, you know, above MSRP, like what's going, what is fair for me? What's reasonable for me? How do I think about this in my head? And we've got some problems on the horizon. If you look at delinquencies you know, on, on loans, there's if you follow a car dealership guy on on Twitter, he's got a lot of really great data, but you're seeing people with fifteen hundred dollar a month payments and a lot of wacky stuff. It's very that that to me is something to pay attention to from a macro perspective is people financing cars at at much higher valuations than what they are today. So I sold my car I I saw this. I sold my car last summer. It was a lease, I sold it off lease, made eight thousand dollars on a car off lease. That's that's just crazy. Didn't make sense. Unheard of. Yeah. So, so you have these wild swings, and the customer, I think, at the end of the day, you don't feel super protected and safe in that sense. But you also have to spend a lot of time at the dealership doing the paperwork, the tags, the titling, sit down with the finance manager to look at gap insurance, all, all kinds of things. And that was a big part of the transition for the pandemic. Is hey, we can. They development was certainly accelerated on that process to say, hey, we can get you eighty percent of the way done online. And I think customers again, anybody would like that because you're negotiating the second most expensive purchase of your life. it's hard to sit and face somebody and say, "I don't want to pay this much, I want to pay less and they're good at it day in and day out saying, "Well you know you should pay to that like this this that um a, a lot of it is easier just behind a computer screen and so I, absolutely. When you start to be able to go through and I can actually see my payments and I can just do this at my convenience, the research, the car, the payments, the financing, I'm approved. A lot of that can be done ahead of time. And then I go into the dealership to, to finish it. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that's going to continue where the car, it, it becomes more transparent. Some dealer groups are starting to say, Hey, we're just going to have, uh, you know, one price or, or pricing transparency. I think they're going to win. When I know I can go yep. in there stress-free and just this is the price. We're not mar- it's everything is built in. There's no negotiation. Like this is just what it is.
0: So a couple of things. You know, one, there's no resale market for HVAC, so we can move that off to the side. Yep. But thinking about um our space and what we'll, we'll talk about what you're doing in HVAC here in a moment. But um, you know, how how do you see the this playing out in the HVAC world for HVAC systems or water heaters, knowing it's an applied product and and all of that. Like where do you see the parallel?
1: So the biggest fear in auto was the race to the bottom. Right. Yeah, yes. That yep. didn't play out. It it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. It it was a race to a fair market value, is really what what ends up mm-hmm. happening. So the way I, I frankly, like like what I see, and I know it's not a popular view, but yes, absol- absolutely absolutely, yeah. absolutely, you are going to see Pricing online. Now, you know, the things that's interesting about HVAC is it's very custom. I have to come into the home. I have to do calculations. I have to do a lot of these things. But again, there's no range given over the phone. I've listened to thousands of phone calls from there, there's not even a range of like, what what might this cost? Where our, our average install is about $12,000. That never happens. And I get it because it's scary to say that somebody over the phone is going to be like, oh, my gosh, that's way too expensive. Click. You know, but again, there's going to be tools that make that better where our average installation ends up being about $40 a month and we customize it. Mm-hmm. You get warranties. You're going to get better at that. But that I, you I may I... want
0: some other things, right? You, you may want more than that. You may want less. Why don't you meet with Rick? He comes out on Tuesday. Exactly. Like it's not. Yeah. And it's so hard for people to just wrap their mind around. I want to be respectful because I have plenty of people who are, are doing this the right way. But like, right. It's not a race to the bottom.
1: Yeah, it isn't, and yeah. and the Chuck in a truck, right? I've, I always see those, those examples of of Chuck in in the truck, and you, you'll lose some percentage of your business to the people that are just willing to go at absolute rock bottom. The same thing happens in automotive, but the the dealer groups are still doing well, and the big successful brands like they're doing well, and even the small to mediums that provide good customer service are, are doing extremely well. And so, I, I I do see it going in in that direction. It's it's not as much because we don't sit and shop. For HVAC, you know, in our free time, the way that we do with cars, and there's so much variance right. between vehicles. Audi A4 with these features versus Honda Odyssey with these features; those are two way different cars. But you know, that's that's what's different. Like you said, there's no resale market. I think that the we're in that early fate. Like we're already past. Hey, you need a website, and right. then that next but finally, piece,
0: it wasn't that long ago that that was like that's behind us and it took yeah. 10 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. And think about the people who are early adopters, like how much opportunity and leverage that they had over competition. So that was oh one gosh, phase yes. is the way that I saw it. Then the, then the next phase is, Hey, we're going to give you multiple options to convert with us. It's not just going to be phone calls. It's going to be chat. And then you saw the rise of online scheduling. Wow. I can book appointments on online, which again, that happened in automotive, especially for, for service. There's a company called X that allowed you to book, Appointments online, that was a new thing, and and there wasn't as much resistance to that because that was like, hey, that actually makes a lot more sense and it's easier. Mm. But really, is this is this something that's gonna work? People are so used to calling my business. So you're kind of going through that now where you're seeing, like, hey, there's this online scheduling. I think then the next phase, just like an automotive, it was, hey, can I get qualified for financing before I start my shopping process?
0: Yep. And before we have to look each other in the eye. Can I do it privately on my own time?
1: Yeah. Can I see what I can afford? Can I can I know what that monthly payment's going to be? Can I get good yeah. rates? What does that look like? So that that's another phase. It's going to be in in my opinion, or or what I think is going to be in these chunks. And then you know I think there's tools out there, but I, I your shoppers are going to want experiences that mimic what they're used to in other verticals, or else somebody else is going to come in and try to do it. Yeah. So we used to, we started to see, and this has died down. And it's not surprising, but we started to see Amazon bidding on some of our our top brands. Like they would bid on their brand names, and I thought, what's going on here? Obviously, HVAC is a it's a big monstrous market. I think it's very overlooked. I think Amazon's trying to do something here. I know that they have things where you can purchase equipment online, and they find an installer for you. Sure, a little yeah, bit of I'm issues sure with is. that that model. They they backed down from it, and and the reason I say I'm not surprised is because. Of where their business is. They're laying a lot of people off. They're probably getting focused. They're pro- probably less focused now on expanding into new markets and more focused on their their core technology and services, which is an opportunity for the HVAC space. Like, hey, people might be backing off of vertical expansion right now. So there's a window. Take take advantage of that. Because yeah, you can go by. I mean, we've had clients say, hey, you know, they're, they're buying customer will buy a hot water heater online at Home Depot, and then they call us to install it. We don't do that. We want to get the full package. So my, you know, around starting searchlight, like that big mantra for us, obviously, we're very involved in data. But using digital marketing strategies and data to help you connect directly first with the customer to give you that opportunity to show your value, and why they should go with you, even if you have pricing on the site, things like that, but also providing an experience that's going to start to get closer and closer to literally just being able to buy these things fully online.
0: Before we get into searchlight cuz I want to hear all about what you're doing there and I think it's fascinating. Um thinking about the car world, thinking about the the phase where dealers realize, okay, you know what, it's not a race to the bottom. We're putting pricing online. We're going to have an inside salesperson work with these. Mm. What advice do you have for an HVAC contractor, particularly my customers who are listening who have their pricing online and are just figuring out how what it's like to get into e-commerce? What advice do you have from like a, um, an intake standpoint, dealing with customers who are shopping online, inside sales, all those sort of things? Like, What, can, what had, did you learn in the car world that you might be able to lend to HVAC companies?
1: Customer experience. I know it's high level, but customer experience is like, that's, that's where you want to focus, I think. Mm-hmm. That's where I would focus if I had this and what I've seen. So to go back to an example. Over the summer, I was trying to sell, it was a 2019 Honda Accord. I forget what trim, but good condition. Coming off lease, one owner, very well under miles because I work from home, so I wasn't driving it a lot. I was reaching out to car dealerships via chat because I don't want to get on the phone. I'm multitasking. I must have reached out to four or five dealerships saying, hey, do you want to buy my car? I've got a great model that's in demand right now. And they would always collect my information. I would never hear anything. Mm-hmm. This became, I wanted to bang my desk. This became incredibly frustrating. And so when I finally got in contact with, I finally just called to my reluctance. I called the dealer and said, hey, do you want to buy this? I said, absolutely. Um, you know, bring it on this day. Then I got a text message from somebody from that same dealership saying, hey, John, I know you want to sell your car. I just want to hear your side of the story. And I'm thinking, "What? what is this? My side of the story, what? I'm trying to sell you my car. So apparently what happened is they have a used car section and a new car section and i talked to the used car manager who pays a little more for the used cars and the new car guy wanted it and was like just tell me your story and then he was what he was trying to do and this is true the guy called me and said hey i need you to come to this address there were like two separate addresses two buildings across the street i need you to come to this address i said well no the other gentleman told me to come to this address behind staples they have the officer said "No, no 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 you just can come right to me so I call the other guy and I say, hey, I don't know what's going on, but I'm pretty close to not giving you my business. I'm gonna take this somewhere else. Why is this gentleman telling me to come to this building and you're telling me to come here? He says, Yeah, he wants the car. He's not gonna pay you as much for it. You're gonna get a better deal with us. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. I, I was just happy with, with the deal. But that's the type that's what I went through in the modern and this is this is a big Honda dealership out in Louisville, Kentucky. This is not a yeah, small operation, yeah. and this is me now. Like I never left a review because I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I, I, you know, again, it's like think about what your customer wants and, and just remove the friction from that process as best as you can. Talk to your customers when you're in the home, when you're evaluating your business, how are they shopping and how can you make that shopping process easier? It's not a threat if you make it easier first and that's a good experience you're going to win that business more often than not, at least from what I have seen.
0: And aside, in your days, I'm trying to move on from dealer.com. No, it's okay. It's it's Um, a good parallel. In those days when you were in Detroit and you were meeting with manufacturers and you were talking about that manufacturer, distributor, consumer model, obviously since then, manufacturers now sell direct to consumer. Yep. Tesla being one of them, others. Um, where do you see that world going like will the will the modern way of buying a car just be buying it from ford.com or gm.com or wherever like do, do, are, what kind of vulnerabilities do automotive dealers have because either of their lack of um, sophistication around things like e-commerce or just the greed of publicly held companies who need to maximize value and have the tools and resources to do that like spin that up for me
1: so there's a lot of law, like le- legally, right? Legally, car dealers are, are protected from those models in a lot of cases. There's a yeah. lot of lobbyists and things like that kind of preventing, and again, I'm speaking from memory, so it's, you know, don't quote me on it, but.
0: Uh, totally. As yeah, I remember, like right, like
1: that, that was kind of a big thing is it is that there were some laws in place to protect those businesses to say, hey, you can't sell direct to consumer. Uh, for these brands. And again, like with Tesla, I don't know all the details because they're a new brand, how they get around it, yada, yada. Um, But yeah, absolutely that's a threat. And absolutely, I think what could evolve, this was always in in, in my mind, is that if I'm a dealership, you can make very, very good money servicing vehicles, servicing, detailing, cleaning vehicles and repairing them, obviously. And... Mm -hmm. On the new car side, I remember you don't make a lot of money on new car sales. Unless maybe, you know, after after the pandemic and things were going a little bit haywire, maybe that's, you know, it was going down. Used cars weren't always an opportunity. Leases were great. Certified pre-owned. Those were great inventions. The invention of the lease because you get to sell a car twice. You have the lease that you sell and then you get it returned. You sell that car again and then you sell. So you can say it, sell that three times effectively, right? You lease, you sell you, Take that back. You sell it. You sell them a new car. Um, you know, and then they return it, and it just, it's just—it's just a cycle where it's like, okay, I—that that's a great product for me as a, as a dealership, but you know, I I do see OEMs explore. Why why wouldn't they try the direct to consumer model? There's some sure. There's a lot of logistical things you might still want to talk to a salesperson. But if you're thinking twenty years in the future, where you have Chat GPT three, that's a model that's fully trained. On the different vehicles where you can talk to somebody who's AI that's going to tell you all the features of the vehicle. And you're seeing it with Tesla now, why doesn't it continue to drift in that direction where I, as a consumer from the comfort of my home can shop online? Obviously there's, there's a test drive component. Um, you know, there, but I, I see dealerships in the, in the future and a lot of will disagree with me. So again, this is just, I just see a bigger component of, of the service, the detailing, the cleaning and, and, and that aspect of the ownership cycle.
0: Thinking about the HVAC world, I'm thinking about, you know, if I'm a CEO of, you know, insert name of any of the companies all mostly publicly held, I look at the contractor or the dealer as they would view them, the ones without great websites that aren't doing, that aren't optimized for search engine results, that aren't, you know, list 10 things that aren't providing that incredible experience. I look at that as a really, really big bottleneck. Yep. And I don't know, there's just a a lot to explore there. Thank you for listening to the Change Your Filter podcast. I hope this podcast today was valuable for you. If you liked this podcast, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts and write a review. And if you have an idea of a guest or a topic, leave it in the notes of our YouTube feed. If you are interested in learning more about Contractor Commerce, go to ContractorCommerce.com, click learn more, and my team will hook you up.